Hi, my name is Leo WT, and you have found your way to the Conversations Podcast. Conversations exist to create spiritually-minded conversations about life. We desire to create safe space for dialogue and community. We desire to come together regularly and intentionally to generate conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Everyone is welcome. I'm going to let my friend here introduce himself, and we are going to get chatting. So, Ryan, take it away. Thanks, Leo. Yeah, my name is Ryan, uh, Ryan Bell. I, um, yeah, what to say? I guess I, I live in Pasadena, California, so I'm, I'm coming to you from the West Coast today. A little daylight still coming through my window here. Jealous. And um, yeah, yeah. So I think in the context of this conversation and this podcast, I'm uh, formerly Christian, um, formerly a pastor, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, currently identify as a secular humanist and an atheist, if anybody asks. And um, yeah, and I currently work in um, both in my day job and in my a lot of my free time in tenant rights and other forms of um, social activism in my neighborhood in in, the, in, the, in LA County and in Pasadena. Um, yeah, so that's just a little bit of kind of my background. I have two daughters who are um, almost both adults now, and um, they luckily live in the same same place I do. Which is that great. is exciting. It's a whole nother trip when they're not around. Uh, my my oldest is in Korea right now, and it just really is the worst when your kid calls you crying, and you, there's nothing you can do because they're half a world away. You know, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. So I, yeah. I'm a little glad for you too that they're nearby. So. Um, I, I love, you know, I love the idea behind your book and we're obviously going to go into that, but I also have to say as someone who has become, uh, like, let's just say like had an awakening to civic duty and such lately, I love that you are doing things like you are running for office and you're, you're, you're doing things to better the world. And I kind of think that sometimes to bring it like to tie it together, this idea of atheism, I think sometimes people are like, oh, atheists are scary and bad and like eating bats heads or something like I don't know. But I, I don't I haven't really met any really scary atheists. And I frankly think that it might actually be a better reflection of your character that you are working for tenants rights and running for office. So <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some atheists who who maybe try to put on a scary aesthetic mm -hmm. uh to, to scare christians and create controversy and you know yeah that's their way of having a conversation right is to yeah. is to like cause people to freak out so but yeah it's it's uh there's a lot of fear and we can maybe talk a little bit about that but for sure there's a lot of fear that i think's unnecessary yeah absolutely so now here's here's a parallel for me that i'm drawing i don't i don't know if i would know how i identify religiously but i am perpetually curious and interested in religion uh, especially across cultural boundaries uh just very very interesting to me i think i'm like part theologian and part sociologist um Mm. in almost just a strictly intellectual sense. Like I don't necessarily know the word Christian is kind of terrible and I would be hard pressed to off the bat introduce myself as a Christian. It's one of those things where you have to give a whole paragraph of explanation, you know, but 
but in the Unfortunately, learning, yeah. oh God, it's so bad. But in the learning I've done, it's led me to a place where I think like any true religion or spirituality has to end up at a point of civic engagement. And so I think it's really interesting that like you're coming at this civic engagement thing from like an atheism or secular humanist perspective. And I'm whatever the hell I am. But ultimately, we're still we're still pulling on this same thread that leads us to working in the communities that we live in. Yeah. And there, I mean, I think there are different strains of Christianity that try to do that as well. And I think Judaism is another really uh, important example of, of like a religious community that sees yeah. like how its members engage in the world in the here and now as, as very um, important and if not central to what it means to be a person of that faith. Yeah. Evangelicalism in a weird way, you know, became very escapist and, um, you know, focused on the hereafter and preparing people for a life in heaven and yeah. um, maybe a subtle, subtle to not so subtle disregard for the, for the world as we have it here. And, um, you know, the, the old hymn, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through yeah. um, really defines a lot of people's theology. Um, even if it's not a consciously thought through theology, it's sort of like that implicit underlying belief system that, yeah, the climate may be changing or that, you know, people may be poor and un unable to provide their basic needs, but a better world awaits them in the hereafter. Yeah. And that's that's so weird to me because I always I guess I just had this feeling from the beginning. Um, first of all, I don't know how I as this ball of queerness and ridiculousness came out of my evangelical conservative environment, because as I frequently say, I was double fisting the Kool-Aid. Like not only was I a church kid, but I was like I was owning it. You know, I was I was living my best life mm -hmm. um, and it just. I don't know. There was there was just this weird sense of detachment that happened. And I found that like the more detached from evangelicalism I get, the more I'm seeing that I need more than just an insurance policy. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. I think that even if there was no God and there was no afterlife, what I'm doing now should still matter. Like my belief system should have an impact now, you know? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I think that there are theologies, you know, contemporary theologies that emphasize that even, you know, relatively conservative people, but like N.T. Wright have have spent some time sort of trying to argue that you can have a sort of broadly speaking evangelical belief about, say, the Bible and salvation and all the rest and still argue that what you do now is part of the process of redemption, I suppose, Um yeah, it's it's a bit of a, you know, the the work of theology I think is is often like trying to make sense out of out of uh, things that don't make much sense. So definitely, it's I think it is you know, <laughs> and so I, I think there are some inherent contradictions there that the, the task of theology is to try to solve those contradictions in a way that's convincing to enough people. Um, and if that framework helps a person, like I think if if a framework of Christian, you know, broadly speaking, Christian. Um, theology makes sense of the world for a person and helps them engage, you know, you know, that's great. You know, good I on think, you, yeah, bud. All good. <laughs> right. Um, I think in reality, though, a lot of people, even if they don't acknowledge it, still feel like this world is sort of a dry run for the next one. And we just have to get through it yeah. somehow. 
but that's also not to say that there are a lot of you know secular people who are totally disengaged right. from you know making the world a better place too. So it's certainly not a a unique problem faced by Christians. Yeah, it's definitely like an intersectional disconnect, if you will, between you know between religious and a religious spaces. And I I don't know. It's just it's so interesting to me because I guess with, especially with the way I grew up, like atheism was always just such an other. And now that I've experienced Mm. being othered, right, um, it's not so scary to talk about, to talk to the people on this side of the fence. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm already in heretical waters. So, like, let's go balls to the wall with that and talk about it, you know? (laughs) Um, Do me a favor. Yeah, for sure. When you say secular humanist, would you mind breaking that down for us? Because I'd love to see, like, kind of where you are now, and then we'll work backwards to how you got there. Sure. Yeah. So I think the the two words are, you know, each doing some lifting. Um, so, I mean, I think to start with the secular piece is, is simply to say there are other kinds of humanism. So this so secular sort of modifies the notion of, of humanism. Um, and the secular part is, is just the idea that um, we live in a world that's not enchanted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least not enchanted in that typical sense. I mean, I think people are quite enchanting, you know, so, yes. um, you know, and nature is, is quite enchanting. And, yeah. um, so in that sense, sure. Um, but that we, we live in a, in a system, uh, a world system that is, um, defined by, by naturalism, by science, um, by the things that we can see and mm-hmm. experience and touch. And of course, um, you know, science has brought to life things that we previously couldn't see through, you know, microscopes and telescopes and, you know, other scientific instruments help us see a world that we thought wasn't there before. So I'm totally open to the idea that there might be more world that we think isn't there that may be there as we continue to learn and grow um, as human beings and discover uh, more about our place in the world and in the universe, but that ultimately reality is, um, is sort of, defined or confined by um, a set of a set of scientific assumptions that that seem to do a pretty good job of describing that reality. Um, so not an interventionist kind of world where spirits or or um, gods intervene mm-hmm. from the outside or I sometimes say you know no one is coming to save us yes so absolutely it's, it's it's us here that that have the responsibility. So that's the secular part. The humanist part is basically saying that human beings um, aren't, I think sometimes humanism is misconstrued as saying that humanists, humanism, humans are, and I think maybe one could make that case, but, but really humanism is about who, like the locus of responsibility mm-hmm. that as a person, I'm responsible for my um, my choices, my my actions in the world, and what I do with the time that I have is ultimately um, something that is is my choice and and is consequential. Yeah, that that, that my choices are not um, you know something that something that don't matter. So so human beings able to solve their own gate solutions uh, without sort of the idea of a god intervening to fix things 
Yeah, absolutely. that's kind of a crude, I guess, a crude summary. If you will. It's like it's kind a crash course, right? And it's not really a belief system or religion in, in that sense. But but yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And one thing I'm hearing like a lot in what Definitely. you're saying is like uh, you're you're putting yourself in the driver's seat a little bit more than I think um, I hear from people who are, are religious. And I'm that's a broad swath. You know what I mean? And that's not a fair brush to paint everybody that's religious with because that's not reality. Right. But um, it's it's painting or it's putting yourself in a driver's seat a little bit more and kind of taking ownership of like, it's us. You know what I mean? We're we're here and we're doing this. And I think that's honestly something that would be quite valuable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've written about um, about this and sometimes, you know, in different places and talked about um, that. Um, that that being a humanist is sort of learning to live without promises. Mm. So in Christianity, there, there are a lot of promises about, you know, how the world will turn out. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, for, you know, maybe, maybe for all creation, depending on your theology or mm -hmm. for God's chosen people, but one way or the other, like God is in charge and things will turn out okay. Humanism does not have those promises. Like, so we, we embrace life without the promise of a better, things could go to completely to shit and, you know, climate change could really accelerate exponentially and things could get really bad. And that could be essentially the end of, you know, in the next 50 to hundred years could be the end of the way that we understand, you know, human civilization today. Mm. Um, or we could make different choices and things could turn out differently. So that, that's kind of what I mean about like, there's, no, there's not a sense of, of promise where, you know, we used to say with Martin Luther King, like the, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice as a yeah. matter of like, like axiom, you know, that that's the case. And these days, I don't believe that. I don't believe that necessarily the moral arc of the universe, if I don't even believe there is a moral arc of the universe. Mm -hmm. So um, it, is, it is what we make it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, TikTok, you know, we got to we got to get busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I like I said, I, I, I actually find that to be like kind of wildly refreshing. Right. Like there's no promises like stop resting. It's like I don't, I don't know if you've ever played sports, but uh, like, you know, coaches always be like, oh, like it's not over till the final whistle or whatever. But it's it's like true. Like we have a real sense of mm -hmm. agency in the world that exists. It's not it's not happenstance. Right. Like this is not what would have happened if right. just nature existed without humans. Like we have agency and we have we have we have interconnected responsibility to those around us. And that's kind of it's kind of refreshing and scary and refreshing all at the same time. <laughs> it, it is a little scary. Yeah, it is a little scary um, because it, it's like it's like being a child, you know, and you have your parents with you and there's that kind of backup, like you kind of want to be independent, but you also are kind of comforted that your parents are there, you know, if anything goes wrong. Um, but that as you get older, you know, that there's that moment for everyone where they're like, maybe in their own apartment or at college or, or some moment, you know, where you're like, Oh shit, it's just me. Like my parents aren't here, you know, yeah, like, yeah, ah. yeah, yeah. like it's exciting, yeah. but it's also a little bit scary, you know, like, you know, maybe they're a phone call away or maybe there's several hours drive away or something. So they're kind of there. And then, you know, I think part of growing up and I don't mean this to be condescending 
at, as probably it sounds. And sometimes it's sort of inevitably sounds a little condescending that mm-hmm. the part of growing up for me, I'll just put it on myself is, you know, realizing that that God figure in my life was in a way, a kind of parent that I was unwilling to, to let mm-hmm. go of, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted that security blanket, that sense that, that God was looking out for me. But when I stopped and really looked at it, I realized at least in my understanding of it, you know, that there wasn't that, like that wasn't part of it. I was imagining it or I had created a belief system around it or, or whatever. Right. I had justified God's silence or, or God's inaction. And, and so it was really a kind of growing up of like, Oh, you know, like my parents aren't here. My God's not here to save me. You know, I, I, I I have to rely on myself, but not just myself. I don't want this to sound super like individualistic because it really comes down to the community and what you're trying to do, I think, with this podcast and the show is like, it's up to us collectively to find ways to support one another, support each other's autonomy, but also support our connectedness and, and not just human connectedness, but our relationship with the whole natural world and our, you know, and how that is either a force for good or a force for harm. Yeah. Oh man, I'm like I'm just like take me to take me to not church church right now cuz I'm having a moment. You know what I mean? Um I'm actually in a class yeah. right now in grad school called queer eco spiritualities and it's talking about how like mm. if you're going to be truly queer like there's no there's no binary between human and non-human and we we set ourselves up to to you know, inadvertently mistreat part of the world because we 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 build separations where there's not supposed to be separations. And I, I find that interesting because mm. like, you know, you mentioned Judaism earlier, like there's this idea of a personal relationship with God is like a fairly new uh, development in terms of church history. And if you read like Jewish scripture, like that shit's about community and that shit's about mm-hmm. taking care of the world and taking care of your neighbors and feeding the poor. And it's just so antithetical to what we hear a in the pulpit and B um, in politics these days. Yet somehow we yeah. got from there to here, you know, yeah, we have our personal trainer and our personal barista and our personal Jesus, you know, yeah. and 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 I think that idea of having my own customizable personal savior, mm-hmm. um, it, it's comforting. It's like having a therapist, maybe, you know, right. someone who knows you better than you know yourself. I, I had a therapist once that I had spent enough years with that I did feel like she knew me in some ways that like she was quicker to the understanding of what was happening than I was. Yes. <laughs> um, because, because she was outside me, you know, and, and not all ensnared in this craziness, you know? Um, so, you know, I think that is appealing yeah. to folks, you know, to have this, I remember singing worship songs, you know, where yes. God is like this loving father who will never abandon you. Never. And why is that important? because people have felt abandoned in their lives, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, Some more dramatically than others. And so when you sing a song and you have this belief system about a God who loves you unconditionally and will literally never abandon you, that's a powerful, Mm -hmm. like emotional connection that, um, that I think is, 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 um, you know, it it sticks for a reason, you know, and that's, um, and it can be, it can be helpful to people. um, Yeah. 
I just came to the place where I, I simply didn't believe it was true. Yeah. And so holding on to it became hard to hold on to something I didn't think was real. Right. Yeah. 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 You you were doing more work to keep yourself believing that it was real than anything yeah. else. Can you tell mm. me? So I know I've I've read a little bit of your stuff online, listen to some podcasts and stuff. So I know a little bit of your background, but can you tell our listeners here a little bit? Like, you know, you, you know, you said you were a Seventh-day Adventist uh pastor, kind of. Mm-hmm. How did you how did you get to the point where you were even like toying with this, you know, heretical idea? Because like I've I've been there. I get it. You know, what I mean? the first time you kind of like step your toe out of the boat and you're like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's interesting and it's not it's not linear. And I'm, I'm sure you and your listeners w- would not expect it to be linear. Um, and it was slow development for me um and very humanistic development um Mm -hmm. and what what i mean by that is that i grew up in a very i don't know how much your folks know about um seventh day adventism but you know without taking a ton of time on that if you think of like conservative evangelicalism with a kind of unique little bit anathema even to evangelicals Mm -hmm. so People often mistake us for Mormons, and it is a mistake. We are not, you know, our the Seventh Day Adventists were not are not Mormons, but they grew, they evolved and developed in the same milieu in in the United States and around the exact same time mm-hmm. in the United States in the United States history, and have some of the same um, some of the same vibe, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, I had an orientation to people for whatever reason, whether mm-hmm. it was my, you know, and I didn't, I didn't have like a super easy childhood necessarily. Um, but I didn't have like the worst childhood either. So mm-hmm. I, I think I just, I grew up with a sensitivity to people. And so my theology was always informed by this kind of sociology, as you said yeah. earlier, and a very specific relationship to the people and, and and so theology is kind of like philosophy, right? It's it's a or economics, you know. It's a hypothetical, all things mm-hmm. being equal, kind of um, uh, postulation of the way the world is. And then you meet people, and they're they don't fit neatly into those categories. Never, right? like um, you know, people like you, for example, were never yep. meant to fit into the theology that I was taught. Right. Uh, and then I meet you, right, yeah. or someone someone in your same situation. And now my brain is like, wait, how does Leo fit into this this theology that I have? Either I reject you or I reject my theology or I modify my theology to make room for you. Right. Because and not just because, but but because my theology actually teaches me to to love everyone if if I'm coming at it from that perspective. And, And so you try to find like the places where there's some malleability in the theological system yeah. Um, or, or certain principles trump other principles like higher order values. Um, and so I, I, I gradually um, just realized that my, my theology is pretty exclusive. I wouldn't have thought of it in those words necessarily or expressed it in that way. Right. But it did have a lot to do with meeting people who broke the rules that mm-hmm. I was raised with, um, but loved God you know, in their own way. Right. And making a decision to allow for those people to be a part of my community. Um, I know that sounds super like patriarchal or sort of condescending to say to allow them to be a part of my community. But in the beginning, that's exactly what it was like. That was my first 
step was, okay, these folks can be a part of this. Um, and, and just to put a little bit finer example on it, like we're not just talking about like, like I'm talking about people who smoke cigarettes, for example, like in Adventism, you can't be a member and smoke cigarettes. Yeah. Um, and you could be in the olden days, not so long in, in my lifetime, you could be kicked out of the church for, for smoking. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, you know, being queer or, or um, being non-monogamous or something like that. Like, you know, things that we consider today out of still out of the mainstream, certainly mm-hmm. in the Christian mainstream. Um, and then I, you know, 9-11 happened. That was another big event for me. So mm-hmm. I was uh, right around 30 years old, I think. Um, yeah. In, at, on 9-11. And um, I had a little one less than a year old um, and we lived in that area. And, and it really, for me, um, shifted a lot of things. I, I began to realize how American theology was steeped in American imperialism and how you know, a lot of Christianity was not about the kingdom of God, but was rather about lots of other political realities. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I was introduced to Muslims really for the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I abstractly, I knew about some about Muslims, but right. um, you know, now allegedly these Muslims had flown airplanes into buildings and I had to grapple with why they would do that and mm-hmm. claiming that God was their God maybe our God was advising them to do that. Mm -hmm. And then hearing our president say that God was advising him to go bomb them. And I'm thinking is that this is supposedly like the same God or maybe competing gods. I don't know. And, and that's a huge like worldview shift, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that really started relativizing things for me. And then I was a pastor in Hollywood, California, where, I would say fully a quarter of my congregation were LGBT and in a church that in a denominational system that did not right. sanction that. And we started getting involved in other social justice efforts and little by little, it became clear that the denomination did not see what I was doing as mm. gospel ministry. Right. They saw it as maybe good stuff to yeah. do, but not really the gospel. Yeah. And we, we eventually came to a parting of the ways over those issues. And then I just started looking into my faith more generally and realizing that, or, or just asking the question, like, is God really there? And we, we had had some explore explorations like that in our church, even when I was a pastor, oh, cool. I'm looking at the absence of God, some death of God theology. Um, you know, cause it's not like, it's not like you and I are the first ones to consider from within the Christian tradition that God may not exist. You right. Know? <laughs> um, you know, it's like after the Holocaust, you know, there were a lot of Christian theologians that were like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Where, where, where was God, you know, in the midst of all this, a lot of Jewish theologians basically gave up on, on, um, theism Mm -hmm. in the aftermath of world war II because they just couldn't abide the idea that God had somehow allowed this to happen. Um, Christian theologians like Jürgen Moltmann and the whole liberation theology movement, as you know, grew out of this struggle of like oppression and God's silence in the face of oppression and what that means. So I started exploring those avenues and it eventually led me to the place where I just didn't think that the the framework of theism was the best at answering the question, what's going on here, you Mm -hmm. know, or like, why is the world the way it is? Or even more importantly, what is the way forward, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but that's certainly not to say that I, 
I mean, in my everyday life, I interface with people of faith who are fighting the same fights I'm fighting. So um, you can arrive in those places as I did and as many people still do. Um, but religious faith just didn't, it felt like an extra baggage I was carrying. And when I set it down, nothing really changed for the worse for me. And I was like, wow, this is a lighter load and I'm still able to do what I want to do. And I don't have to carry this extra thing and explain it to everybody and try to like, like shoehorn my political beliefs into my Christian beliefs and try to make them like sync up in some way. I just, it was just simpler to deal with the world as it presents itself to me without this metaphysical sort of filter. Absolutely. Um, I think one yeah, of the coolest things rambling. No, no, it's it's all good. Like all of that was good. There was no no off topic rambling there. Um, I think one of the coolest things. Now I don't know. You know, I say all of this with the caveat. Like I don't know. I spent a shit ton of money on degrees. I I have so many Bibles. Like I have so many Bibles, and I've read them all. And I've read the Bible in four languages and so many translations. And and all of that. I say that, and I still arrive at this place of um. Uh, Maybe, you know what I mean? And I'm not afraid of that anymore. I'm not afraid to live with the questions. Mm -hmm. But this idea that I'm toying with in my head now, like I'm already in heretical water, so we, I might as well just say it. But I have this idea in my head that religion and spirituality is almost like a, like a, a linguistic, I'm going to use a linguistic analogy for this, right? So, so you will, mm -hmm. I will always, my first language will always be Christian. I can't change that. I can mm -hmm. hate it. I can rebel against it like a, you know, a tiny little uh, adolescent or I can embrace it as an adult and say, like, this is my heritage, but this is where I'm going. Now, I kind of wonder sure. if, if perhaps whatever there's this underlying thread of humanity is. If um, we have just all of these different ways of orienting ourselves around this like universal concept of you know, and I, I don't know the word to put there because I don't want to say truth because that's been fucked up by a lot of people with their truth and our truth and this truth and that truth. But there's some sort of universal thread. And I almost wonder if we're all just speaking different dialects to get to the same idea of, yeah, we're mm. all in this boat together and we're in this boat with the world and we're in this boat with the whole biological system. We've got to do this together, you know, and so I, I don't know how that works out for me, but I've started to uh, identify as a non-binary person because um, uh, I, I am multitudes like it's the only way to describe the craziness, like you said, the craziness in here. But I almost yeah. feel like I might be spiritually non-binary um, in this sense of like where I can see it all right here, but I'm, I don't feel stuck right here. Like, I feel like I can see it from up here and I can see the ways in which we're all floating down the same damn stream. Um, and I think if, if you have a belief system that, that where you wind up, um, where you err on the side of helping people, like, I don't see how that can, I don't see how there's an eternity in hell. Uh, if hell was to even exist, I don't see how that's where you're going. If you just didn't say the right name when you prayed, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I, I to stick with your linguistic analogy for a minute, you know, I think it's, you know, like, for example, if I hear someone describe the an experience and they say, you know, like the universe, like revealed to me something, right? Uh -huh. That That's never, that's not a way that I would ever describe an experience. Like, yeah. that's just not the language that I would use. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, but there's a part of me that knows exactly what they mean. Right. Like, yes. I don't, I'm not like, what the hell? Like, 
I've never heard anything like that before, you know, like or when someone says, you know, like, um, you know, like God spoke to me or I, I had this deep impression from from God or from the spirit or from, um, you know, I don't know, from from whatever belief system that you have. Like I've had deep impressions. Like uh -huh. I know what it feels like to have like this deep conviction or an impression, um, you know, and and to doubt it and to wonder, you know, like is that something I should act on? Is that a bias that I have that I should not act on? You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, I might call it intuition. Someone else might call it the voice of God. Right. Um, but I, I I get what they mean, right? Yeah. And so I think this this principle of do no harm. Um, you know, we all do some harm. We can't probably always avoid doing harm, but to work at that to yeah. say, you know, my goal here is not to say, um, you know, all Christians are stupid and living according to some fairy tale or, or anything else like that. Um, but to say like Christians, some Christians can really weaponize their faith and do lots of harm. And some atheists can weaponize their non-faith and do lots of harm. And, and so being, and I've often said to atheists, you know, like, being an atheist doesn't predict for any other thing, like mm -hmm. any other way of being or thinking. Right. Like you can have Richard Spencer, who says he's an atheist, and you could have, you know, someone who is, you know, obscure without any fame of serving the poor and, and be an atheist. Like, so, yeah. you know, it, it runs the gamut. So just your this one binary question of like, is there a God or not? It's an interesting one. Yeah. It's a one that's preoccupied humans for, you know, as long as we've been able to express our thoughts in words. And, um, and it's worth debating. I think like it's fun to talk about. And yeah. I think it does have implications. I think sometimes when there's this external actor, it can, you know, open up other types of ways of thinking that may or may not be helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, it's how you hold your faith, how you hold your yeah. beliefs, whether those are theistic beliefs or non-theistic beliefs, um, and how you, you act in the world, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, this, and this is humanism again, right? Like, I think I can, I only have control over my, me, like, ultimately, like mm -hmm. I can make choices about myself and how I'm going to act in the world and how I'm going to behave with the people that are around me. And to some degree, I can attempt to influence others, but you know, ultimately that's not within my control. I can have some influence maybe, but right. Um, you know, and to use that wisely, you know, and to, to think like, is like in my tradition, you know, God disapproved of, you know, eating pork or drinking wine, you know, and, and it came to me just like, it just kind of hit me over the course. And so I was still a Christian at the time. I'm like, of all the things that are happening in the world, you think God's really up, up there, maybe somewhere up there, like really worried about what I'm drinking, you know, totally. like really, like really obsessed with yeah. like what I'm drinking when there's people who don't have a place to sleep or food to eat or children who are starving or, yeah. or, you know, any number of other mm -hmm. atrocities that are happening. And I was just like, look, I only have so much bandwidth. Like, I just want to focus on the things that I think are um, the most important and um, and to enjoy life and to enjoy yeah. the things that are around me, to, to experience love, to enjoy um, a good view, you know, a nice yeah. hike, good, yeah. you know, a good experience of, of nature, food, you know, whatever. Um, 
and and to have less anxiety about oh god yeah you know fitting into some kind of narrow system oh yeah for sure my brother and i always talk about like waking up in night sweats wondering if we fucked it all up or we're going to hell like ah <laughs> so that's I have a, a terrible question. thing to put on someone oh my yeah. god yeah we should not be teaching this to children that actually seems abusive like if you take the religious language out of it and you're like so there's this dude He's going to watch you for a while. He's going to he's going to be like he's going to take care of you when I'm not around. But if you do something wrong, he's literally going to set you on fire. Like this would be such a quick CPS call. <laughs> not good. Not cool, man. Not cool. So I have a question for you that I posed this in the conversations group. And um, it is part of my deconstruction story. Deconstruction is like a sexy evangelical word right now that's going on. I didn't know that that's what I'd been doing for 10 years. I just thought I was fucking everything up. But apparently I was deconstructing. Um, there you go. <laughs> but so uh, deconstruction is just this idea of, of unlearning unhealthy beliefs. Some people wind up mm -hmm. deconstructing and still an evangelical. Some wind up still a Christian. Some wind up an atheist. Some, you know, what I mean, where, wherever. Just but the process is deconstructing, coming from someplace, going to an unknown mm -hmm. destination. So I always ask people. For me, there's I've always just sensed that there was something more, right? And so I couched that in theism for for most of my life. But there is nothing that will force you to reconsider what you believe more than to know that you are innately something that your religion hates right and so i realized after the third exorcism there was three of them uh i realized that they were either awful exorcisms or they were so good that i'm a dude now so jury's still out uh, but after my third <laughs> after my third exorcism i i i was at the mall with a friend 10 minutes after you know what i mean <clears throat> and, and there's a beautiful girl that walked by and so just instinctively i was like not a creepy dude way. Let me clarify here. <laughs> but just like I just innately looked and then in that moment, it clicked in my head and I was like, yo, shit, I didn't choose that. Like that is something that is innate. Right. And so what I do with it, I can wrestle with that as much as I want. But that was just a thing. There was no conscious thought. And so either God hates me for something that I, I, I am or the story is different than what I've been told. I say all that to say when I started this process of the world fucking crumbling around me, I decided that I was going to focus on what my non-negotiables were as a person, because I felt like as long as I had non-negotiables, as long as I believed in and was working towards something like that is what I could focus on. Right. Like I could hold on to the core of my identity while I figure out everything else. And so for me, mm -hmm. what I settled on was the idea of shalom and the idea of agape. agape. So like working towards complete peace. And, and that's just not me. That's God and man, man and man, God and human, you know, you within yourself. Like that's that's everything. Right. Shalom is this overarching concept of everything being at peace. And agape is this idea of just like literally unending love like the and in human terms that's going to be the best you can do love you know what i mean we're fallible mm -hmm. right but but i figured i would hold on to those and those are the, my same non-negotiables today i actually have them tattooed uh, on my knuckles here um because i figured nice. I, there's no other reason to read the bible like in modern day times in a dead language so i might as well get the dead language tattooed on me um, <laughs> like, why not? You know, I got a little dead language tattooed on me too. Yes. Yes. There we go. <laughs> See, you got to do it. You got to flex sometimes. Like this might be a stupid knowledge that'll only help me on jeopardy, but look at me now, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, right? You, you got to make the best out of the situation. So 
But that being said, totally. like, um, do you have, uh, you know, do you have non-negotiables for you of your belief system, right? Like, what are the things that that Ryan is like? These are the things that I will never recant on because these are the things mm. that I think should happen. Um, I asked this to my friend uh, Lulu, who recommended me to you, and she had a couple cool answers I hadn't thought of. So I'm really curious to hear yours. Yeah, and I'm curious, maybe after I've um, fumbled around on this for a minute, to hear what she had to say. Yeah, I'll totally tell you. Um, um, so, so the, the biggest thing and this might strike you a little funny, like this is not kind of what we set out to discuss here necessarily, but, <laughs> um, but in a way it kind of is. And, uh -huh. but, but probably the thing I most identify with these days is socialism. Okay. Um, and so I think for me, a non-negotiable is, um, like reducing human suffering or creating the conditions for human flourishing. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think that, like, I believe that the world is enough yeah. for, for all of us and yeah. not just humans, but everything. Um, and that we've created a system of exploitation mm -hmm. that makes it very difficult for the vast, vast majority of us to approach anywhere near like a th real flourishing. Agreed. Or, or, and I, so I guess another way of talking about that is, is freedom the idea of, of human autonomy and freedom. And so I, when I think about political movements, when I think about uh, movements for human liberation, whether that would be the movement for black lives, um, whether it's, um, you know, social movements that I've learned from and continue to follow, whether it's the labor movement in the United States or uh, movements in so South and Central America and Africa, um, Haiti. It's to me, it's, the 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 right for people to to self-determine mm -hmm. um, the course of their life mm -hmm. to have the freedom to live the way that they they choose to live um, and I think we can structure a world that allows for that yeah but we can't structure a world that allows for that while we're doing the things that we're doing many of the things that we're doing right now um, and so I guess in terms of non-negotiables, you know, I, be I believe in, and this is going to sound weird in a sort of post-evangelical conversation, but I believe in life. Like mm -hmm. I believe in, in, in life, um, having its, having its chance, you mm -hmm. know, and, um, and creating the conditions in which people can really live and be free. Yeah. And right now people are not free. Yeah. And, you know, I, I enjoy a measure of freedom probably, you know, heretofore unimagined in the history mm -hmm. of the world, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of the long scope of things. Like yeah. I, I pretty much do what I want, but I'm also an employee. I also pay a lot of rent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of things that constrain me. And I, and I think when people are, you know, ask themselves the question, like if you didn't have bills to pay, like what would you do? And the answer to that is so revealing. Like pay, some people would would you know paint some people would write books some people would you know do you know help people design their hair the mm -hmm. way you do you mm -hmm. know some people would um you know you would do that because that's what you love to do not because you have to do it to pay your rent or something like that Absolutely. um and i think just imagining a world like that is is for me a non-negotiable and i'll drop a quick book recommendation here yeah. um along these lines um it's a bit of a long book and it probably it rewards a, a slow, close read, um, right. but it's definitely accessible. It's not, 
I'm going to say a few words about it. That's going to make it sound inaccessible, but it really it's everybody should be able to approach this book. Um, it's by a Yale philosopher named Martin Hagland, and the book is called This Life. Um, uh, I always I always get this mixed up. Secular Faith and Spiritual Freedom is the subtitle. All right. And he he basically talks about the the kinds of things I've been talking about right now. And when I read it. I had that kind of instinct, that impulse that I perhaps you've had where you read this book and you think, I wish, number one, I wish I could have or would have written this book myself. Right. And like, number shit. two, very <laughs> Yeah. Very quickly after that, though, recognizing like there's no way in the years I have left in my life that I could learn enough to have written this book. Right. So thank you. You know, it's like, but this person is expressing in words that I could never have put together in that way exactly how I felt and, and then challenged me further. Yeah. Um, so highly recommend it. This life by Martin Hagland. All right. I'm dropping a link to it right now. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I, and whether you're a theist or not, I mean, I think you can learn a lot from it. You'll be challenged. If you're, if you're a very committed Christian, you might have some issues, especially with the first part of the book, but just hang in there. It's, mm -hmm. he's not trying to deconvert you or anything like right, that. Right. Um, yeah. There's a universality to it. Like it's a, it's understandable. So um, I Definitely. like all of these things that you're talking about. Like I, I dig like none of those go against what I believe. This is where I'm getting back to like the, uh, the linguistic analogy of, of, of different dialects. You know what I mean? And like, I don't know. I think I'm learning mm -hmm. another language right now. I don't know what it is. It's like here to four unclassified, uh, but it's definitely right. not, the, it's not quite the same as Christianity, but it's something right. So I don't know. It's probably like some Lord of the Rings yeah. shit where I'm just making up my own. I don't know, but, <laughs> um, I, I definitely noticed um, I saw I saw your platform before. So I'm definitely noticing some like you like those socialist tendencies. And and frankly, I think Jesus was a socialist. And I think that most Christians today, if they met Jesus, would fucking hate him <laughs> uh, yeah. because he's like, yo, help yeah, people. He would, they'd put him right back up on the cross. Absolutely. Maybe not literally. It would be some other they'd imprison him or. Yep something yeah they would just filibuster him forever like it'd be like but nope this is why we can't help somebody you know what i mean <laughs> they'd filibuster him with yeah. reasons to not help people um but i i uh, have been learning a little bit about uh, democratic socialism um via some friends in my area and i know a couple of them are watching so i'm hoping that they're uh, picking up on this because actually where we live um there is a democratic socialist group but they are actually a private facebook group because of the literal worry mm. of what people in this area would do to them which which is so weird. It's so weird when you're just like, bro, everybody should get a shot. And people are like, nah, I'll pass. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, people are really threatened. I mean, it's it's weird the way that that like some people have co-opted political language like freedom. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons that I always insist on mentioning it, because I think the right has has latched onto this idea of freedom and, and really yes. bastardized it. Yeah. Um, where it's like freedom for me, but not for you, but not for you. Um, yeah. But not for you. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's getting a COVID shot or whether it's what, what a bakery, who a bakery can bake a cake for, like, you know, just all the things, you know, <laughs> and crazy and, as shit, um, man. Yeah. Just let people live their lives. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, it's, it's just not that hard to figure out. My, my grandfather taught me when I was little, when I lived with my grandparents, when I was younger and you know, he taught me that my freedom ended where the where your nose begins, you know, like my freedom to swing my hand ends where your nose begins, you know, mm -hmm. and so like, you know, do no harm, like, yeah, live your life in a way that 
you know, or, or as a theologian friend of mine, pastor theologian friend of mine said, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Like that's just, that's a basic axiom. And I think that that should be pretty foundational for all of us, right? Like I don't care who you are, just don't be a dick. And we're already, we're already moving further. Like if you play, don't be a dick out to the fullest extent, that's actually a pretty pervasive mandate. It's pretty great. I mean, there's a, it, it encompasses most everything. I, I sometimes, you know, feel this when, you know, I, I sometimes brush up against some of these stupid uh, Twitter debates around mm -hmm. um, like like trans issues. And and my overwhelming like after my gag reflexed at some of this like anti trans stuff settles down. My my first thought is always, why do you care so much how someone else lives their life? I just don't get it. Like, yeah. just let them let people live. I don't I don't understand. Like, so you're not the same as that person. You know, no. that's kind of like the nature of the whole world. Like it's it just, is. I think people are just scared. Yeah. You know, they're scared of what they don't know. They're scared that they're going to get left out. And I think for people like me, for really privileged people, they're scared that other people are going to have retribution. You yeah. know, yeah. that if if, for instance, if people of color truly get political power that Fair they'll right. be held to pay yep you know and um you know there might be tribunals or or yes. whatever else you know what's funny but about that is it's an inverted admission of an understanding of complicity and guilt because if yeah. you don't want things to change you're saying it could be bad for me the other way <laughs> right yeah yeah or or it's just this crazy supremacy which is just plain wrong you yeah. know like whether it's western civilizational supremacy or white supremacy or hetero patriarchy or whatever it is it's just like this great like this at the bottom of it all it seems to me like a playground level yeah. i'm better than you absolutely just it always just sounds like that to me in my ears like bigger bullier people taunting other people on the playground and i'm just like come on like we haven't evolved past this. You yeah, know? Like, like we how, really just can't accept this. Make, yeah. How did we not make it past this point? Like I, I thought that was a thing we were doing as we grew up, but apparently not. We're just doing the same shit, but in fancier clothes and with more expensive consequences, I think. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And I, but I think that the thing that really matters to me, though, is like like the material realities of people's life. And mm -hmm. I think this is go going back to humanism again and and no, no one's coming to save us. Mm -hmm. Like the material realities of people's life are what really matter. Yeah. And materially changing someone's life by, you know, giving them more wages or giving them democratic control of their workplace, for example, or giving them access, unfettered access to healthcare, mm -hmm. or, you know, the list goes on, um, really changes people's lives. I mean, and I think Christians by and large are people who often say things like, we want to change people's lives, right? Like Jesus will change your life, you know, or, or, or we, we believe in like intervening in the world in such a way. And I say, we, like, I'm not a Christian anymore, but, <laughs> but Christians talk about intervening in the world in such a way that people's lives are improved. Mm -hmm. And often that involves a belief system in Jesus and whatever else, but at the bottom of it all, they want people's lives to be better, right? Yeah. And I, I think that this is for me, um, the optimism is yeah. that people's lives can be better and it's not even that hard. Yeah. Like we could accomplish, like just a example, we could accomplish, 
universal health care mm-hmm. and it wouldn't even be that difficult. No. No. And we would adjust, we would adjust to it like within a year or two, people would be fine and they would love it the way they love their medic, their, um, you know, social security benefits. And, and we would all be better off and the world would be a better place. And it wouldn't cost anybody hardly anything at all. Mm-hmm. Like it would cost the rich some more, but they wouldn't even notice it. You know, it would be, they would have like, you know, $6 million instead of seven or something like that. Like, crazy. Who, who like, yeah. It's crazy. To I me. know. Yeah. Whatever. So, so that's, to me, that's the, that's the drive. You I know. like that. So what but I've been Lu- interrupting you. Keep oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say, so what Lulu said, yeah, uh, tell me what Lu- it was very yeah. similar to what you're saying. And so the first thing was that, you know, there's there's not always a redemption arc, right? Not everybody gets a redemption arc. And yeah, we need to we need to grapple with that and not like you, you have to understand that reality, right? There is no, mm-hmm. I, I just like, especially when people die, I hate when people are like, oh, they're in a better place. Like, how do you know, bro? <laughs> like, I read the Bible. I'd like to yeah. think that things are better, but like, I don't know. And so some, sometimes I think we have to sit in our humanity enough to admit that there might not be a redemption arc. So that was her first non-negotiable. And for her, she was saying that was essentially freeing to realize that, like just a mm-hmm. acceptance that we're not going to pretend anymore because everybody knows that that's not always true. Not every addict gets sober before they OD. Like that's just life. And yep. um, so that was her first life's thing. Unfair. It is. It is. And it and it's really unfair in a lot of ways, which brings us back to the socialist, you know, tenants that the, like, there's a lot of ways that we could change and make life a lot more fair if we were willing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing that was her non-negotiable was the idea of um, not creating. Um, oh, what was it? Based, not like not making sure everybody felt love, but basically creating safety for everybody, like mm-hmm, a basic mm-hmm. because lo- doing what is most loving, that's kind of a thing that's been a personal thing of mine, like with the whole agape thing. But the reality is that a lot of people have done real shitty stuff in the name of love. Like just look at people who have come out and their parents have cut them off and, you know, tried to exercise them or get them like kicked out of school or whatever. Right. Um, there's so many right. movies on this topic right now. Like they think that's love. And so love is not a it's not a monolithic thing. Right. And so she was saying how her mandate boiled down to to creating the safety that would allow everybody to flourish so almost the same things that you were saying which are almost the same things that i was saying totally light bulb you know what i mean (laughs) maybe we're onto something here yeah maybe i don't know i and i don't even know i don't i don't it's just like i feel like if you just keep peeling back the layers um i'm a big like in literary terms right now, I'm doing a shit ton of writing for school. And so when I'm writing and when I'm talking uh, with conversations and everything, I kind of keep saying this phrase, like there's always a thing behind the thing. Um, like, especially with the trans argument lately, I'll use this just as an example, cause I made a video about it two days ago. So it's fresh on my brain. Um, but like you're saying you are, you're worried about your daughter getting a college scholarship, right? Okay. But that's not the responsibility of a trans person. That's the responsibility of a government and a private business that have allowed this, the, the, uh, for the, you know, uh, 400% increase in tuition in the past, you know, however many decades, like, so the thing behind the thing is not necessarily that you don't want trans kids to play. The thing behind the thing is that you can't afford college. Like maybe we should talk about the thing behind the thing. And I think that's what's happening a, right. a lot of with what we're saying too, is like the thing behind the thing is, is safety and is, um, and is working as hard as we can for equity and, and, an overarching belief in people and right. the ability to do better. 
Yeah. I think it's also interesting to, and I, I'm trying to do better at this, like really try to understand the good faith arguments of the other side. And they're not always in good faith. But I, I do think, for instance, when it comes to like socialist politics, that anti-socialist people that aren't are against socialism are also concerned about fairness and they and they really but they see it in a much more narrow terms and it's mm -hmm. not sort of driven by equality as much as it is like their entitlement and mm -hmm. or that other people who are not entitled or haven't earned something are cutting the line mm -hmm. um you know and so I, I think it's it's important to to really spend time with these ideas and and really explain what we mean by, mm -hmm. by freedom, you know, yeah. and by, by, by equality yeah. and like on the basis of what, you know, and I, I think it's, it's not because uh, it's like, like equality somehow through the lens of a meritocracy where I've earned something mm -hmm. and therefore it's fair right. uh, that I get it before you get it, you know, or something like that. Whereas like, I think that, you know, COVID has really brought to the surface so many of these issues. And unfortunately, you know, half a million people have died. Um, that, that's, you know, almost unimaginable in our lifetimes, you know, like, mm -hmm. and I mean, it is unimaginable in our, on our lifetimes. And, um, but it has also laid bare some of the basic inequalities in our, in our world and, and, and created some social experiments in inequality just like like who gets the vaccine first and how do we decide yeah has been a really interesting and kind of fucked up like roll roll out really you know yeah. like it's it's like here in california it's been like you know we i think we all agreed that people over 65 would be first and healthcare workers would be first because they're obviously out there helping other people in the healthcare context but then it was just like this broad-based age-based mm -hmm. system not like frontline workers who are supposedly heroes, you know, but didn't get the vaccine, yeah. you know, cause they're working in warehouses and in factories in, you know, slaughterhouses in, you know, grocery stores, bus, bus drivers, you know, yep. people that are out there every day putting themselves on the line. But if they were like 40 and not 60, there were plenty of people who are comfortable at home getting the vaccine. So, I mean, and, and maybe we can't create a perfectly fair system, but we could certainly do a hell of a lot better. Yes. Than what we've been doing. <laughs> oh man. I yeah. hard, I agree on that so much. Like we could, we could certainly do better. And I think, you know, what I think is interesting. Um, and this is, uh, this is all intermingled for me in terms of religion and spirituality is that this conversation that we're having, right? I think a lot of times when I, the thing behind the thing that I hear, uh, especially when someone who lives in Cattaraugus County and has like, lives in a trailer that has a tarp over the roof and has like three non-working cars in their front yard and they're, they're concerned with equality because they work hard for what they got. I'm like, you're fighting the wrong windmill. Like, you don't need to fight the black yeah. people, bro. Look at the people like look at the people on the other side of the spectrum. And so the thing behind the thing is and I think this is something that honestly, like the right's not dumb. 
Like this was a strategy, mm-hmm. right? Is if you can keep mm-hmm. the middle class fighting the lower class, if you can, in, in the case of uh, the, you know, the creation of race in America, if you can keep the indentured white people fighting the enslaved black people, you know, there's always these other people at the top that benefit. And so the thing behind the thing, bro, is like, I got to look at this person over here who's like Joe Trump supporter, right? In my town. And I'd be like, you have a right to be mad. You got mm-hmm. gypped. You know what I mean? You got screwed over. But you might want to look at the source of your rage a little bit more carefully, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I totally agree. I mean, and, and I think this is, yeah, controlling the narrative. And I think this is something that, um, again, Christian theology can can help with because I think there's a lot of, like, narrative analysis in, mm-hmm. in theology and trying to understand you know, and I, th- I think we can go too far trying to make everything in the world fit into an, a nice, tidy narrative. I right. think this is where um, Christianity falls apart for me. Like, yeah. um, but but I do think that certain segments of our society are much better at controlling the narrative yes. than than others. And we just need to get better at at standing for what we believe on principle, being flexible, being welcoming and inclusive, but also Mm -hmm. having principles that we stand on. And I think this is a tension because it is, I think the the more, the more like strong principles you have, the more you can seem um, exclusive, you know, Mm -hmm. or like rejecting people who don't have those principles. So I want to be really like when you talked about non-negotiables, I think that's a really great way to think about it because I want to be very clear about what my non-negotiables are and, and I've been, you know, I've been struggling with this lately, um, you know, just for myself, like, cause I don't like being in arguments with people, you know, um, I work in housing and, and I think that the whole idea of, of landlordism is a corrupt system. Like I, yeah. I, 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 you know, so I, I often say like, I dream of a world with no landlords, mm-hmm. but I happen to be in relationship in my city with people who are landlords and they hear that and they're like, how dare you, you know? And I'm like, look, I don't, I don't hate you. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to go broke. I mean, I'd like for you to be like more towards like where the rest of us are. Right. Um, Right. A lot of landlords, you know, aren't making a fortune either. They're part of a system um, that maybe they, when they entered into that system, they didn't understand it. Maybe they still don't understand it, but um. I was reading as a lot of people did this year. I, I, I read again, I've, I've read the, um, a lot of Camus through the years and, and I, I read the plague again this mm-hmm. year as a lot of people did. And it really came home to me again. And a kind of another um, non-negotiable for me, I think is, is really taking the side of the loser or the weak mm-hmm. um, people who are, um, kind of losing in whatever system exists. Yeah. Because there's probably if you if you align yourself with those folks and learn about them and hear from them and listen deeply to them, I think that's where you learn about where the fissures are mm-hmm. in or like where the the gaps and the, and the broken places are in any societal system. Like the people that are being left behind in that system can tell you like what's wrong with that system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, even if I don't understand what the solution is, I think like listening to people who are oppressed and marginalized will almost always teach you a lot about what's wrong. And then it's a matter of figuring out what to do about it. Right. Um, you can never go wrong by, by listening to people who are 
on the losing end. Yeah, no, that's that's actually beautifully poetic. I I'm I'm going to be chewing on that for a minute though because you're you're absolutely right. Like if you're aligned with the margins and if you're aligned with the others and if you are aligned with the disenfranchised, no one's going to have a better view of the system. I think that's why it's important um, you know, in religious and in and in political circles uh like, you know, I'm thinking for example, um Thinking, for example, of like we're we're doing a, a police reform board here in my town. Um, our mayor okay. is absolutely dragging his feet. Doesn't think it's necessary. Doesn't think racism exists. Shocking that a retired uh, police chief who now is a mayor who is white uh, insists and oh straight gosh. would would have no idea that we need it. But one of the one of the things that um, uh, the Olean uh, Regional Justice Coalition that I work with has been pushing for is that there there must be people who have had interaction with the police department because of an infraction must be on that committee. You cannot absolutely you cannot have a committee that's going to sit there and say, like, this is what we need. And, and literally, 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 our mayor put the police chief as the head of the police reform board. Like no, no warning lights are going off here. Uh, so we're fighting, we're slogging that out at city council and stuff and through, all, you know, social media campaigns. Uh, we're working to get some more diverse candidates Good. and stuff. But um, you, you do, you, you have to have the, you have to listen to the marginalized and you have to put your pride. I'm aside. so glad that you're in that fight, man. I, I'm really glad you're in that fight. And um, we're, we're in it here too in Pasadena, yeah. right after George Floyd was killed. Um, by police in Minneapolis, we had a, a black man shot in the back wow. uh, while he was fleeing by a cop here in Pasadena. Pasadena is only 140,000 people, mm -hmm. you know, so it's it's a kind of a medium sized city. I mean, it's a city, but it's, you know, it's not like Chicago or Los Angeles. Right. Um, and we're very close to Los Angeles. So we always get sort of lumped in there. But um, but yeah, we're, we're fighting for the same thing right now. Um, to make sure that, and, and all of the advocacy groups, and I'm part of some of them um, here are saying like, there need to be people of color on that, on that community advisor, that police yep. advisory board. There needs to be people who have had interactions with the police. There need to be, um, you know, women and men. Yep. There need to be people um, who have a diversity of, of viewpoints yeah. and, and not just stack it with people who are gonna do uh, what the police department wants. Yeah, it is. It is unacceptable. It is unacceptable that it took us in Olean longer to have one black alderman than it took for the entire United States to have a black president. And it is not acceptable that, you know, that, for example, like mm. our mayor picked an alderman who couldn't stay awake in the meetings. He was he was like super old retiree. And he literally fell asleep when I was like asking him if he could say Black Lives Matter, to which he woke up and said no. Um, but so, so like there's, there's people that are in these systems and they're unchecked and they're putting people there that are going to support their perspective. And that, to come back to your non-negotiables, is not creating a system where everybody can flourish. And it's, it, I don't care if it's a religious belief, if it's a political belief, if it's a social belief, like if you're in that fight, you got to come out now. And I don't care what gets you there, whether it's the Quran or the Bible or, you know, Darwin or like whatever gets you there, just show up. <laughs> show mm -hmm. up because I guarantee you that if we're all flowing in this stream together, there's a crazy thing that happens when everybody from the margins comes into the center is that the center mm -hmm. looks a whole lot different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a little soapbox there. Sorry. But I, it's, it's for me, like to, to bring it back to where we started is um, the more that I come to take any belief that I have seriously, 
the more I'm driven to civic uh, participation and to community building. Uh, and so, you know, in that's that's why conversations started. That's why the Olean Regional Justice Coalition started. That's why, um, you know, after I was disenfranchised from the church, um, you know, were I a straight cis female, I would have been ordained 10 years ago, given my degree. And I'm still here 10 years later trying to slog it out, convincing someone that I should be, you know, that I should be, um, you know, involved in church still. But whatever gets you to the table, um, you go there. And so for me, doing social work got me to the table after the church was like, nah, bro. I was like, well, where can I go that I can do the same thing? And so, so I don't care what gets us to the table, but we got to show up. We got to create safety. And it should be an absolute universal mandate that we do what will allow people to flourish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Does, does, I really like you, man. <laughs> I feel well, like thanks we, for having me on. Yeah, I feel like we could chop it up for another six hours. But alas, I, I'm going to go home to my super beautiful wife. And um, I actually have like three books to read before Tuesday for school. So where are you going to school? I go to Chicago Theological Seminary. Um, it's awesome. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty dope. I'm in a master's of uh, divinity program right now. Um, I might do master's of religious studies. I don't know. I want to pursue a PhD, maybe in queer theology, uh, nice. maybe in some sort of intersectional like sociological theology like how religion plays out in different uh, contexts and geographies and ethnicities and all that. I don't know. I'm, I'm just really nerdy. And I'm a My friend fascinated. Vanessa Gomez Brake just got her MDiv from Chicago, I think. Do you, do oh, you know really? Vanessa Gomez Brake? I don't think she's, so. She's a humanist. Yeah, the name sounds really familiar. When I logged on to our like uh, orientation event, everybody was either queer, brown, or female. And I was like, I'm in the right place. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, being people will often say like just because in the spaces that I'm in, they'll I've had in just in the last couple of weeks, I've had people say to me, you're you're queer, right? And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, actually, I'm, I'm sorry to break it to you, but I am I am pretty normie. I'm yeah. pretty normie. Like I'm, uh, yeah, but you I'm know fortunate. It's a hard cross to bear, in, but in someone's got to do it. So that's right. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the script is truly being flipped and, and, you know, being in 50 years time, being me will be the, the hard road to home right. or something like that. But, right. It's just but, so uh, past. In the meantime, I've though. had, I know it's, we're over it. White man, man, forget him. And uh, yeah, but I, I've had so many good um, friends in my life in all different um, walks of life that have, just been so generous with me of their teaching me and, uh, you know, holding me accountable and, and pointing me to resources and yeah. helping me answer tough questions. Like you were, I, I saw you were doing an episode on trans athletes and stuff like that, yeah, which is yeah. the, hot, the hot thing these days. And, it is. <laughs> and it's, it's great, you know, like not, you know, it, this comes back to like not expecting every trans person to defend the existence of trans people. Yeah. Um, but it's nice when one or two people, you know, out there that, you know, will help you with that. Cause we do need some people that are helping us understand because, yeah. you know, for a lot of folks, it's just brand new. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I always think of like the way I think of my role in the world is I used to understand myself as a pastor, uh, but then they were like, yeah, no, you can't be a pastor. <laughs> and I was like, ah, damn. Uh, so I kind of tried to just uh, toy around with what it was that I like to do. And one of my favorite things to do is to be able to voice something that is hard or difficult or complex so that someone down the road who's going through the same thing doesn't have to voice it. And so I always think of that mm. in terms of, of like another trans person who might not feel comfortable having this conversation, but because I have enough privilege in my life to be safe, to be secure, to have a spouse, to have distance, to have technology. I have, so, I have a lot of layers of, of privilege, you know, even as a trans person, um, I want to use that privilege, right? I'm not, I'm not going to deny it. I have it, but I want to use that. Yeah. And so perhaps if I speak, then someone down the road doesn't get asked a question about their junk, because really at the base of all of this is like, why are people so obsessed with people's genitals? Like that's, we're talking a lot about minors genitals right now is what I see happening. So right. I know it's like none of your business, right? Like back off. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's something that you could do that, that requires no degree and it requires no affiliation, just be a voice when you can and, and make the world a better place for everybody to flourish. Yeah. Definitely. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really like I've, I've been listening to your podcast to prep uh, the, the second that I actually uh, emailed you right after I finished my conversation with Lulu, too. So I'll have to like hook you guys up somehow. But um, yeah, please do introduce us. I'd love to connect. Absolutely. Yeah, you've been I know you've been a, a great guiding light to her, too. So um, but I want to say thank you so much for for coming on. Thank you for working through schedule issues and technology issues and just being open and honest, um, you know, in, in the way that I try to speak out and hope that that makes it easier for some people. I have no doubt that people watching this, um, you, you will have made the way easier for them in one way or another. Well, that's, a, that's certainly my hope. And it's uh, I'm humbled by it. But yeah, if we can lighten each other's loads a little bit along the way. I think that's, that's like you just said with, you know, something that we say maybe prevents someone from having to answer a similar question down the line. And yep. we, um, and then I get that benefit from some other person. So yeah, that's the good work. So do you have real quick before we go, I, um, do you have any way that people can connect with you or any sure. works that you would like to share or anything that you'd like to put out in the universe so that people can further connect with you or your work or, um, you know, the, the projects that you're working on, anything like that. This is your, your chance. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, my, my personal Twitter is just Ryan J bell. Um, my Instagram is the same. Um, I have a number of different Facebook. I have a personal Facebook and a professional Facebook. You're welcome to um, connect with me there as well. If you just search for me, I should pop up. Um, I have a podcast called Life After God. And um, my website needs some work, but you can find it at lifeaftergod.org. And there's... Um, all the back catalog is there. It's free. I haven't put out an episode in a couple months. Um, I've been starting a new job. So, um, but there's a load of really good stuff in the back catalog and all of the links to the life after God, social media are also there on that website, lifeaftergod.org. So yeah, welcome your interaction there on stuff relating to sort of post theism and kind of how we think about ethics and morality and activism sort of the dominance of God narratives. Um, 
And then if you're a tenant, um, this will be my just my little pitch to you, like join your tenants union. Mm-hmm. If you have one, if you don't have one, form one. Um, get together with your neighbors in your apartment building or your apartment development or whatever configuration you have. If you rent a single family home, find other people. Um, we, need, we need each other right now. Absolutely. Um, of course, if you have a labor union, join that too. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Uh, maybe we'll have to have you back on and talk more in that vein too. Uh, you know, just about like tenants sure. rights and, and, uh, and all that sort of stuff, housing equity and, and, and socialism and democratic socialism, all that. There's so much room um, to talk about those things right now. So I will go ahead and make sure that all your info is down here in the show notes uh, so that people can find you as well. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you everybody who watched. Uh, this has been conversations. Uh, we come together regularly and intentionally to have intentional, spiritually minded conversations about life, whatever that means. And the most important thing that I want you to know before we sign off tonight is that everybody's voice matters in this conversation and that everybody is in fact welcome. Uh, If you want to find out more about conversations, you can always go to conversationsofficial.com. You can find us on all social media under Conversations Official. And uh, we do have a Patreon and a Buy Me a Coffee if you're interested. And we got some sweet merch, which I'm rocking. I also got these, I got these earrings. I will show them to you. I got these earrings made. I don't no, you got to level up your merch game if you don't have them. But there are—they're actually my logo. Uh, my camera doesn't want to focus. Nice. Yeah, they're they're, they're my logo now. That's on earrings. So, <laughs> wow. That's Listen, Ryan. Cool. If if you need if you need some, I got a guy. So, <laughs> I got to work on my gauge game though. I don't. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, I started mine when I was like, I was like 15 and I just literally pushed the ink cartridge of a pen through my ear. Uh, and, and then I wore a hoodie for like two days, highly unadvisable trigger warning or, or, you know, like, don't do this. Right. But don't do I get that. It, so. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Have a great evening. Enjoy your sunshine. I will go enjoy my gray sky and really icy weather <laughs> and not be mad about it. Have a good night, Ryan. Have a good night, everybody that's watching. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Good night. This has been the Conversations Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. If you have any questions or comments or just want to get involved, feel free to join the conversation on social media. You can find us at Conversations Official on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining the conversation.